and welcome to Up Close and Classical. I'm Philip Lenberg. There are two composers I want to focus on today, both French and both recently performed here in Mendocino. Symphony of the Redwoods performed Maurice Ravel's The Mother Goose Suite in 2019. Ravel had been known as a master of orchestration during his lifetime, and is still, in our lifetime, considered to be one of the most brilliant and creative orchestral composers. The Mother Goose Suite was written at the end of the first decade of the 20th century. It gives us a glimpse into how bold and adventurous Ravel's orchestral music would become. To understand how we got to Ravel, I'd like to take one or two steps back in time leading up to Ravel's life, just before the Belle Epoque. French composers throughout the 19th century were exploring new ways in which to use the orchestra to be more expressive in unusual, maybe unconventional, clever ways. In 1830, the 27-year-old composer Hector Berlioz premiered his first symphony, called the Symphonie Fantastique, in Paris. The symphony is known for using conventional orchestral instruments in unconventional ways, and at the same time, Berlioz really embraces these new developments and technologies in, in modern instrument making, uh, which is a direct product of the Industrial Revolution. Berlioz's contributions and influence both musically and intellectually are vast 
and very rich. And not the least of which is his focus on the importance and function of every instrument in the orchestra. Um, every instrument he could fit on stage or in the pit. His orchestras were notoriously massive. Artists strived to express emotions and relationships in ways that were sometimes intentionally unpleasant. And they continued to challenge the notion that art should be beautiful or art should be without the inherent influence of social and political events and trends at the time. The 1850s was an incredibly active time for social change throughout the world. The French government had gone through uh, several restructurings, we can say. Uh, China saw the Taiping Rebellion begin in the 1850s, early 1850s. The abolition of slavery in the Ottoman Empire, Russia many parts of South America and some of the United States um, really began to build momentum. Frederick Douglass, 1852, delivered his famous What to the Slave is the Fourth of July speech in Rochester, his hometown. Herman Melville published Moby Dick. Uh, other authors at the time, Thoreau, Dickens, Schopenhauer, Baudelaire, Victor Hugo. The, this is kind of the meat and potatoes of, of mostly Eurocentric 19th century literature. And it's still to this day what we consider the kind of pinnacle of the novel. France in the 19th century also expanded a prize for young artists to study abroad in Rome for several years. This had been started by Louis XIV in the 17th century and originally was intended for painters to study the European classics in person. Soon after the Prix de Rome began in the 17th century, another category was added for sculptors, and then another category was added for architecture a bit later, and France added the composition category in the 19th century, the very beginning of the 19th century. Some of the winners in the Prix de Rome composition category may be familiar names, and if the names aren't familiar, some of their music may be.
Aside from Berlioz, the other Prix de Rome winners include Charles Gounod, Georges Bizet, Jules Massenet, Claude Debussy. Most composers received the Prix de Rome when they were in their 20s. Hector Berlioz was 27, Gounod was 21, Massenet and Debussy were 21 when they received the prize. Georges Bizet was 19 years old. The French conservatory training for composers focused on a lot of vocal writing. Some of the earliest pieces published and not published by these composers mentioned before are songs. Even through the early 20th century um, with Ravel, the first pieces we see of his are for voice and piano. One of Bizet's earliest pieces, which was not published until after his death, was a symphony that he wrote when he was 17 years old, still a student at the Paris Conservatory. Earlier that same year, Charles Gounod, one of the Prix de Rome winners and a teacher of Georges Bizet's, had published his first symphony and Bizet had made an arrangement of Gounod's symphony for piano four hands. That means for the number four, piano four hands, for two pianists playing on one piano, rather than a piece for two pianos. This was uh, an exercise for him. What makes this particularly unusual is not that he was writing instrumental music at an early age, 
all of the composers were writing for piano. It wasn't unheard of for a young composer around the age of 20 or a late teenager to write a symphony, though it was less common to orchestrate the piece. Even Claude Debussy, one of, without question, the most significant French composers through history, specifically in the latter half of the 19th century and early 20th century, had written a symphony as a young man. This is unusual, particularly for Debussy, because throughout Debussy's life, he, he wrote orchestral music that was kind of the antithesis of uh, what we call absolute music. Absolute music refers to any kind of piece that doesn't have a very explicit story attached. So anything called a symphony number whatever or a piano sonata in C minor, those are all examples of absolute music. Debussy belonged to the opposite school of thought here in, in music at the end of the 19th century, which is called program music or programmatic music, which means there's a story or a narrative or some kind of image or something attached to the piece by the composer. Debussy wrote one movement for this symphony, only for piano four hands, the number four. It was never orchestrated and it was never completed. And, and he wrote it as a gift to Tchaikovsky's longtime patron in Russia. You can hear that influence of Russian music in Debussy's symphony from the very beginning of the piece. Bizet's Symphony in C was performed by the Ukiah Symphony in 2015. It is an incredibly youthful piece, full of energy and wit and excitement throughout uh, all four movements. As I mentioned before, Bizet had studied with Charles Gounod, and Gounod had continued to be an influence and almost father figure to Bizet 
throughout most of his life. Bizet made a piano four hands arrangement of Gounod's symphony the same year it was premiered, 1855. That's also the same year Bizet wrote his own symphony, and there are resemblances to Gounod's symphony. Bizet's symphony has now become part of the standard orchestral repertoire. There are two other pieces that are considered Bizet's most popular works. One is a set of instrumental pieces as incidental music for a play. Incidental meaning it was written for a specific purpose or a function, like to accompany a theatrical production. This play was called L'Arlesienne, or The Girl from Arles, which is a town in the south of France. Bizet's last work, the opera Carmen. Unfortunately, Bizet died a few months after Carmen's premiere, and in those few months, Carmen was not very well received, at least by the public. Many of the composers at the end of the 19th century, saw Carmen as an incredible achievement. The subject matter was outside of the norms of what opera should be, or was becoming at the time. Tchaikovsky called Carmen a masterpiece in every sense of the word. (laughs) 
Brahms said he went to hear Carmen at least 20 times. Richard Strauss was a composer in the early 20th century, late 19th century, who is known for his orchestrations and is one of the late German Romantic composers. Strauss was born almost 10 years before Bizet's death, so he wasn't really writing any significant music then. Although, to Strauss's credit, he was only nine years old. And even still, uh, by the age of nine, he wrote at least 35 pieces. Voice, piano, a couple orchestral pieces, some chamber music. And those are the pieces that we know of. he developed his compositional career, he looked to Bizet as a real master of orchestration. Strauss had said, if you want to learn how to orchestrate, don't look at the scores of Wagner, look at the score of Carmen. The Wagner that Strauss had mentioned in that quote refers to Richard Wagner, and I, it would be remiss of me not to mention him in the context of Bizet and his operatic influence.
Wagner was such a towering, influential figure in the 19th century, it's hard not to bring him up. He was a reprehensible human being, but Wagner's music really changed the way in which composers thought about orchestral writing and opera at the time. Despite this divide between Bizet and Wagner, between absolute music and program music, not all composers chose one side. And the later we get into the 19th century, stepping into the 20th century, composers are less interested in choosing one way or another. To bring us back to 19th century Paris, and before we go on to Ravel, I want to speak briefly about a composer named Paul Ducas. You may not be familiar with the name, but I'm willing to bet you know at least some of one of his most famous pieces. This is a piece focused on the colors of the orchestra, combinations of different instruments, using instruments in new ways. This was a continually developing trend in the 19th century, especially in France. Ducas was born 10 years before Ravel, and so they're part of the same generation that was exploring how to use the orchestra in more modern ways. Ravel didn't publish music in the 19th century, and once he started publishing music in the 20th century, they were mostly piano pieces. One of the many extraordinary things about Ravel's music is his sense of orchestration. I'm excited to explore some of that music with you next time when we look at Ravel's orchestrations of both his own piano pieces and some pieces from other composers.
Susanna Jansen in Ukiah. This show is produced in partnership with Symphony of the Redwoods and the Ukiah Symphony Orchestra. Please consider supporting orchestral music in Mendocino County by visiting symphonyoftheredwoods.org and ukiahsymphony.org, as well as social media pages including Facebook and Instagram. Please join me for another episode of Up Close and Classical next month. Until then, keep it classy and classical, Mendocino. See you next time.